So we're in the kind of middle of a, of a series that we've been doing on head, hands and heart. So if you're here visiting, I'm really sorry, but this is like number six in a series and there's three more after me. Uh, if you're here as part of family, you'll know a lot about this already. So and there's, I'm, we're kind of in the, in the middle a little bit and we're looking a little bit back and a little bit forward. And we're trying to embed the ideas that we've been looking at and look at ways of putting them into practice a bit more. You know, in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 18, God says this out loud to himself, I imagine. I'd imagine he was sat in his armchair just looking at what he'd created. And he looks down on creation. Sin had not entered the world. And he looks and he says... It's not good for man to be alone. And he didn't mean, didn't mean men as in, you know, as opposed to female. The word used there is the word for like, you know, humankind. It's not good for a person to be on their own. And therefore he created Eve. Not because of any issues, just because intrinsically the creator said, we shouldn't be by ourselves. We work better together. That's a political slogan, isn't it? As I say, I'm sure some party says that. We work better together. You know, and we know that. We, we, we just, you know, it's natural we know that. You know, that together is better than on our own. Psychologists know this. There's a whole lot of conditions that we can get from isolation. We work better together. The old adage is not completely wrong. You know, a problem shared is a problem halved. It's not completely right either, but you get the idea. You know, together we are better. We are made as humans to be in community. That is how we are designed. We flourish better in community. We achieve more in community. You will be the best version of yourself in community. And we know that. I'm slightly teaching you to suck eggs here. We know that naturally as humans, we form communities. You know, we're, we have sports clubs and we have communities around them and we have communities around uh, employment. We have the armed services, which we're thinking about today, which are communities that, that support and encourage each other. And there's a whole variety of communities that we, that we form part of. But this morning, I, I want to focus our attention on a couple of communities in particular. And that is the church community, and even on a smaller scale, the, the missional communities. You know, it's by no accident that their missional communities are called missional communities. Uh, and I just want to just, you know, focus on them and see how they can help us be the best version of ourselves. I don't know if any of you have been, had a position or time in your life when you've been uh, challenged and then changed because of that challenge. Become a better version of yourself because of that challenge to change. For, for me, an obvious one for me was when I got married. Stella's not in the room, so I've got a bit more leeway than this now. So I'll say this bit before she comes back from the crash. So, so 
when we got married, people gave us really stupid advice. People said to us, I remember one person, I won't name this person, said, oh, your first year of marriage is like floating on a cloud. It's all wonderful. It wasn't for us. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. Stella had so many issues. She is, couldn't believe it. You know, and I found that I needed to change. I wasn't the best Rob Milton I could be. And you know, I struggled with that. We both struggled with that. So much so that after a year, first year of marriage, we were in counselling. We went for extra help to sort out our issues, to help us change, to help us to become one process. Because it isn't easy. And any of you, I hope, any of you married will appreciate and agree with that. You know, being married to a man is not easy. Being married to a woman is easier, obviously. You know, but you need to put the effort in. And even then, when you put in lots of effort, you know, we know sadly it, it does not always work out. It's no different with church, you know. It's no different with church. We kind of think that this is a different kind of community when we're trying to develop relationships, that somehow the rules are different. Chris Rogers in his book says this about church. Uh, under the heading, church is hard. There's a, a positive heading, isn't it? Church is hard. This is what he says. He says this. Uh, he says, it's hard to be part of the church because it forces us to realise that we are egotistical, prideful and self-centred. The church is a hard place for many of us, but it's also the antidote that Jesus has given us all. Jesus calls the church to be together rather than to go to church. The reality is people criticise the church from afar saying, I'd never be part of that. Or keep leaving churches looking for the mythical perfect community. Yet the best place for us is to be in this family and for us to work together at creating a true Jesus community by allowing it to shape and transform us. The church is a gathering of people all pledging allegiance to something bigger. It's a new kind of community where broken and damaged people gather together with the purpose of becoming an army of light. Let me say that last line again. It's a new kind of community where broken and damaged people gather together with the purpose of becoming an army of light. Let me tell you, I am a broken and damaged person. And I've got bad news for you if you're thinking you're not. <laughs> you are. Maybe not as broken and damaged as I am, but that's why I need the church. That is why I need this community. And that is why you need this community. It's a calling to a higher calling, to a bigger vision, so that we can be the army of night of light. But we do it together. <clears throat> and I want to set out a first challenge for this morning. I want to challenge you this morning to commit yourself to Christ church. In your heart, in your mind, 
in your soul, in your hands, I want you to make a declaration to yourself and to God. This is my church. This is where you have placed me. This is where I am committed. I'll tell you why. I'm going to tell you why in three different ways. Let me read you a few verses from the beginning of Acts. Acts chapter 1 and verse 15 says this. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering 120, which is interesting. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, it says this. Those who accepted Peter's message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number on that day. And Acts chapter 4 and verse 4 says this. It says, many who heard the message believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000. What am I saying in these verses? Somebody was counting the people that belonged to the church. We're told in James there was a register. People knew if you were in the church or not in the church. People knew if you were committed. We are encouraged to be committed. And let me give you a, a more personal uh, reason why you should be in the church. Hebrews 13 verse 17 says this. Uh, I'm not reading this for the first part, although the first part is the first part. The first part of Hebrews 13 verse 17 says this. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. That's not why I'm picking this out. But it's quite good, isn't it, Simon? It's a good verse. It's there. But listen to the second part of it. The second part says, For they keep watch over you as men who must give an account to God. So I want to just expand that point. As church leaders, so in this case myself, one day I will have to stand before God and give an account as to how I shepherd this flock. I will stand before God and God will say, what did you do with so-and-so? How did you pastor, teach, encourage, disciple? You stand accountable for that. I think it's only reasonable that if I'm going to stand accountable, that I know who I'm standing accountable for. Because I can imagine the situation when I stand before God and God says, um, what did you do with Mrs. Miggins? Oh, she wasn't part of our flock. She only came every third Sunday and once on a Wednesday, but every quarter. No, no, she's not. Don't put her in my register, God. She's not one of mine. Somebody else has got to stand accountable for her. She wasn't committed. How can I stand accountable for those in this church if I don't know who's committed? If I don't know who's in this church. So the Bible is very clear that we need to commit. But not for, not for the, the glorification of any, any leader. And not for any whipping on our backs. The main reason is, is that church is the best place for you to grow. It's community. 
And it's the way that God planned that we evangelize to the world. It's the way that God planned it that we are salt and light. It's from this foundation. Church is his A plan, his B plan and his C plan. It is church. And therefore, it is where we grow together as disciples. Where we hold each other, encourage each other, laugh with each other and cry with each other. Let me just read you a few verses about how they did it in Acts when the church started. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 says this. This is church. Is this your attitude to church? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favour of the people. And God added to their number each day those who were saved. What a fantastic paragraph. Church is us together. And what we do, because we are a church of a reasonable size, we break that down a bit into what we call missional communities, which is a more manageable number that we can meet during the week. We can eat together during the week, as it says in there. And in these missional communities, we can stretch our head, our head, our, our head, our hearts, and our hands. And we can do that together. We learn better together. We grow better together. And in our reading, we heard, you know, where we get our text from of head, hearts and hands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love your neighbour as yourself. You know, we heard that in our reading. And it went on to say in our reading that, you know, do these and think about these things when you lie down, when you get up, when you eat, when you're on the road. Wherever you are, do these things. And this week, when we go into our, our, our missional community, so we're going to be looking at how we can connect our head and heart and hands more together so they're not out of sync. <clears throat> you know, so the question would be, you know, is your theology, you know, is your head represented in your hands? You know, is what you're doing with your hands represented in your heart? Have we got unity in these three areas? You know, I, I'm kind of thinking, it's not in the book, it's not explicit, but definitely implicit, that really, you know, our shapes, our, our goal is for shapes to be far more rounded. So if you look at my shape, oh no, don't go that. Let me just go back, actually. Go back, Margaret. Yeah, that's a good... Let me just bring up that quote there. You can be committed to church 
but not committed to Christ. But you cannot be committed to Christ without being committed to church. So that's saying you can come along to church, use it as a club, but not be committed to Christ. But you cannot say, I am committed to Jesus Christ and not commit to a local church. Hermits are not part of Christianity. Church is where we develop. So we move on to my shape. This is my shape that I did a couple of weeks ago. And when I did my shape, I realised that there's quite a few pointy bits. You know, the pointy bits are the bit that I need stretching on or even compressing. The pointy bits are the bits that I'm not doing great at. And I realised that really what I need to try and do is squash these pointy bits more towards the middle. Tell me, put your hands up if you have created your own shape. If you've been on the, the website, if you've done your shape, put your hands up. So I reckon we're over half. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up for 10 seconds. For those of you that have created your own shape, have you done anything about any of the pointy bits? Keep your hand up if you've done anything about any of the pointy bits. Well done. Well done. Put your hands down. You know, I realised that I had spent some time about three weeks ago going on to the, 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 uh, the website. And by the way, please, please, if you haven't done it yet, go on to the website and, and do the exercise. Answer the 20 questions. We are making disciples.com. Go on to the website. But I realised I had done that. I had created my shape. I did it three weeks ago. And I noticed I had these pointy bits, like especially question nine and question 18. I realised that these were issues that I had to deal with. Good. Didn't do anything. Didn't do anything. It reminded me, remember Mark Millington's talk? The, 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 and we had the, the, the video from the guy in Australia. What was he called, Mark? Are you here? Francis Chan. Francis Chan. Yeah, remember that video when he, the, he was saying about, about the father saying to his daughter, go upstairs and tidy your bedroom. And the daughter, you know, didn't and said to her dad, oh, I didn't realise you actually wanted me to go upstairs and tidy my bed. I understand the concept of it. I can even say it in Greek. But well, you actually want me to tidy my bedroom. I realised... I'd made my shape, I'd identified action points, things I had to work on, and then thought, great, there you go. But we actually need to do something about it. And that's where the missional communities are there for, to help us explore that, to help us go on a journey. I was reading about uh, the Great Commission, uh, Matthew chapter 28, go and make disciples. We probably all know that. And as I read and studied about it and looked back at the Greek, I realised that our modern versions slightly mistranslate it, ever so slightly. A better way of saying that is not go and make disciples, but make disciples wherever you go. Is that different? Tiny bit, isn't it? 
Go and make disciples. Gives you the idea of, of selling your possessions and going off to outer Mongolia. I'm going to make disciples. Make disciples wherever you go. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing in your daily life, today, next week, whatever you're doing, make disciples wherever you go. But that is so hard to do in isolation. Make disciples wherever you go. It's far easier when you've got somebody encouraging you, supporting you, helping you, holding you to account in these areas that needed a little bit of stretching to be a bit more conformed. And we, we know this. You know, when it comes to normal life, you know, if I want to lose weight, I know what you're thinking. Robert, you don't need to lose weight. You know, I'm not medically obese, but I'm not far off it, believe it or not. How's that? Anyway, that's a different point. If I want to lose weight, is it easier to do it with other people? Encouraging me, helping me, helping me to be a better version of me. If I want to get fit, is it easier to go to the gym by yourself or go to the gym with other people, helping you, encouraging you? You could say nagging or you could say encouraging. It depends how early it is and how bad you feel, doesn't it? You know, but if I want to do that, if I want to stop drinking or stop gambling or stop smoking, if I want to get rid of a bad habit, is it easier by myself or with people helping me? And we know this. We know the answer to that question. Yet we rebel against achieving it for some strange reason. You know, so if I look at my shape, and one of my areas is personal prayer life. That's one of my pointy bits. What can I do about that? You know, I could speak to a friend. I could say, well, will you remind me? Could, could you send me a text twice a week to say, how are you getting on? Or can we meet up once a week to discuss it? Can you pray for me? Can you call me maybe twice a week, three times a week? Can I commit to texting you to say I've done it? If I don't text you, could you text? There's a whole lot of different things that I could do with somebody else to help me become a better version of me. That in isolation, is far harder. And you know, on the website, if you go to the next screen, Margaret, on the website, it talks about the next step, what we can do. It talks about the spiral, about things we can do to, to help us on our journey. Steps we can do. There's lots of information on that website. And you'll be directed to it in your missional communities or in your, your small groups. And they will help you with that journey so that we can be better versions of ourselves. Oh, oh yeah. Let me tell you a story about, about Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was a first century rabbi. And this guy came to him. We've gone to the next slide, actually. Uh, this guy, this is a, an impression of a, a, a Rabbi Akiva because obviously there wasn't any photography, you know, 1900 years ago. He was, he was, he was doing his stuff around about AD 50. He'll have been alive in a time when Jesus was alive, just about. And he was a, a Jewish rabbi. And a, a young kind of follower, disciple, you know, came to him and said, um, what, what, is, what is it I need to do to be a, a great disciple? 
bit of a pious question. But anyway, that's what he said. I want to be a great disciple. What do you need to do? And Rabbi Akiva said, you know Deuteronomy chapter 6? He goes, yeah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Yeah. He said, yeah, do that. Do that. That's what we need to do. And if you want, come and be part of our community. Come and live with us. He said, what we do, he says, at seven o'clock, we get up and we spend an hour in prayer. He said, at 10 o'clock, we go into the village and we serve everybody who has needs in the village. He said, at four o'clock, we go to the synagogue and we study the Torah together. So that's what we do. He said, yeah, I'm up for that. And this, this guy joined his community and he would get up at seven for prayer. And then at 10 o'clock, he'd be out on the streets. And at four o'clock, he'd be in the syn- at synagogue. And after a few weeks, Rabbi Akiva uh, noticed that this young disciple was missing the, the, the seven o'clock in the morning prayer time. I mean, I would have never gone to it at seven o'clock in the morning. But anyway, that's a different issue. He was missing the seven o'clock in the morning prayer time. I thought, oh, interesting. And then a few weeks later, he noticed that he dropped the 10 o'clock in the morning time in the village. And yet he kept on attending the four, four o'clock synagogue time. And he approached the, the disciple one day after the, the, the time in the synagogue and said to him, um, what is it we need to do to be a disciple? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. He said, that's right. He said, so why are you only loving the God with your mind? He said, well, surely that's most important. He said, no. It's love your God with all your heart. That's the worship. Your quiet times. You and God. With all, with all your strength. He said, that's in the village serving. With all your mind, that's, that's you, you know, exploring, developing things. In the synagogue. We need all three. But I'd imagine we all have a personal bias. You might be a person that loves study. Loves reading books. Loves going on courses. Loves listening to sermons. And you could easily devote yourself to the head. Or you may be a person that that just loves retreats. Loves praise tapes. Loves walling, not walling, basking. Maybe walling is good as well. Basking in just, you know, prayer time. Just you and God just having a great heart to heart. Or you may be a person that loves serving. Just always serving, always doing, always giving. But what our reading says is we need a balance. Your shape needs a balance in all three. It's not right to devote yourself just to one. So I want to encourage you this morning to look at getting that balance. I want to finish off with one uh, different angle. I also, I really felt this as I was preparing this, I also want to challenge you this morning to give yourself a break. To stop condemning yourself. You see, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandments? What are the greatest commandments? He was probably asked. And he said, not surprisingly, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. He says that. He said, and the second is this. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. 
Love your neighbour as you love yourself. And I don't think when Jesus said that, he had an idea that people wouldn't love themselves. But we know that people don't love themselves. We know there are many times when we hate ourselves, when we call ourselves a whole lot of names, when we despise ourselves, we don't honour ourselves, we don't love ourselves. And I don't think Jesus would want to love our neighbours as we love ourselves if we don't love ourselves. That's not what he was getting at, was it? He had the idea that we thought ourselves were all right. He had the idea that we thought ourselves were pretty great and that we cared for ourselves and looked after ourselves. And with that attitude, we take that on to our neighbours. But in the 21st century, there are so many people that for somehow do not love themselves. And I, I'm, not even, I'm not having a go at that. I understand why that is. I understand because of childhood matters, maybe because of how your parents treated you, how your siblings treated you, how life has treated you, how teachers treated you, how what, what treated you, how it is, how the world has treated you. You don't think that you're all that great. Well, I want you to understand that is not what God thinks of you. I want you to understand that as Christians, we are told there is no condemnation. That you are prince and princesses in God's eyes. You are heirs and co-heirs. He looks at you and he looks at me with adoration. He looks at us and loves us so much that he says, you are so great that I was willing to die for you. I was willing to go through absolute torment because I think you are wonderful. You know, psychologists say it takes one good word of affirmation. No, it's not true. They say it takes 10 good words of affirmation to mitigate one negative word or comment. When somebody says something bad about you, you need to hear 10 positive things to counteract that. But you know, the worst culprit for saying bad things about ourselves is normally ourselves. We pull ourselves down so much. And I want to encourage you this morning to not do that. To think, God doesn't think that of me. And if I'm going to love my neighbour, I need to love myself. And feel secure in the fact that just as I am, God loves me. Just as I am, God loves me. Now, I'm not saying that we don't want to be the best version of who we are or what we can be. You know, I'm not ignoring everything else I've said, but I want you not to have a downer on yourself. When you start saying this rubbish in your head about yourself, chuck it out. Do not allow it to, to plant a nest. Don't, don't go there. Read some other words from the Bible about the truth, about how God sees you and what you are and who you are. And what you can be in Christ. Because in that situation, we can support each other. We can encourage each other. I'm aware of many groups in this church, huddles or small groups or county groups, where on one-to-one and on one-and-two basis, we encourage and support each other. Because we are community and we need to be that. And we know that, that as children of God and as natural children, we don't grow uniformly. We have growth spurts where things go well and then we seem to stagnate for a bit 
And then sometimes things seem to go backwards. And then we have another growth spurt. And God understands that as well. He is not going to have a go at you. If you fall and stuff up, he's going to say, okay, I love you. Let's go. Let's go. That's fine. Let's go again. If you really, really stuff up, he'll say, go and apologize. Go and get it sorted. Let's go again. That's it. There is no judgment. So I want to encourage us not to judge each other, to support each other in our community and our missional communities and to take on the role of developing our heads, our hearts and our hands together so that we can be the church that God wants us to be. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. I'm just going to just lay, you know, four challenges before you. The band are going to play. The, the prayer team will be across on this side to receive you. If you want prayer about anything we've gone through this morning. But I want to challenge you to step up to change. To change for your benefit and for the benefit of God's kingdom. So that you can be the best you that you can be. I want to challenge you to commit to Christ church. If you're here visiting, make it not a visit. Make it the first day of your commitment to Christ church. This church is a place where we can grow together as community and to commit to a small group or missional community. 50% of the people in this church are not committed to a missional community. That means you are not taking the best steps for your growth. You are putting barriers in place to your growth. Even if you think it's going to be hard, it will be hard. Even if you think it might not be enjoyable all the time, it won't be enjoyable all the time. It's like marriage. Yeah. But it is the best thing. It is where we should be. So I want to challenge you to commit to a missional community. Thirdly, I want to challenge you to find somebody to hold you accountable for your benefit. And fourthly, I want to challenge you to give yourself a break. And if what you hear in any way from me this morning is in any way condemnation, I apologise. It is not. It is aspiration. I want you to be the best version of you for your benefit and for the benefit of those who don't know Jesus Christ. That's our aspiration. There is no condemnation but I want to challenge you this morning do not judge yourself just reach for the stars let's pray Father I thank you this morning for this family this family that you have placed us in Lord I pray this morning that we will commit to each other that we will help and encourage and support and cry and laugh with each other so that we can be your salt and your light where you have placed us. So we can reach out to those people walking past this church and inspire them to walk into this church. Lord, help us where you place us during the week that we can make disciples wherever we go. And Lord, I ask this in your son's glorious name. Amen.